Blue Skidoo, you can boo! It's fun fiction! Welcome to Fun Fiction, ladies and gentlemen. I'm heading off to college to make bad sexual choices. I'm Steve Burns when I pee, Scotty Moore. I'm the male it never fails. When it comes, I want a whale. I'm Meg Danger. (laughs) So, I'm going to take the blame for what should we do on Halloween, Scotty? Oh, let's do Blue's Clues? As you well fucking should. Well, I just, I thought, like, the ultimate challenge of our fanfiction prowess would be to take something cute and lovable and make it the worst. And so that's kind of where I had to go with mine, is just trying to make this the worst. I do love the ultimate challenge of our fanfiction prowess. It does, it, it rolls off the tongue real well. Well, we're so good at it. We're the best. <laughs> we're the best at fan fiction, is what it oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, we super are. As though I did not come to you last week. Like, hey, what if, what if Sex in the City did Hocus Pocus, and and then Sarah Jessica Parker, which fucked Mr. Big. I'm so good at fanfiction. Hey, what if scary but Christmas? That's me. That's been me. I'm happy I didn't put Christmas in this. You did do that twice. So, Blue's Clues. Okay, I, I, I'm a level with you. I did not realize our age difference because I was like, we both know Blue's Clues. We both grew up with Blue's Clues, right? We, we've established several times now I've said that you're the same age as my younger brother. Oh, I hate that. Really hate that. <laughs> really don't like that at all. Um, but yeah, it's it was like iconic growing up for me, old Blue's Clues. That It was Blue's Clues and then Dora the Explorer took over because my grandfather fucking loved to make fun of Dora. Because, you know, she would be like, What's behind me? Or, like, where is it? It's behind you, you motherfucker. Like, my papa did not hold back. He's like, dumb bitch, it's right there. Just look. I'm so glad that's where that sentence went, because when you said Dora the Explorer and then followed up with my grandpa fucking, and I was like, oh, God, where where is this going to go? I'm scared. Is it going to get creepy? Is it going to get racist? There's a lot of <laughs> options here, and I don't like any of them. <laughs> But then it was, then it was okay. Yeah. It was all okay. So every Blue's Clues basically follows the same exact format, which is, we got a clue, we got some mail, we got another clue, let's yeet ourselves into a book, and another clue. The end. But Blue's Clues did, uh, it did pioneer the, the screaming at the television genre, I believe. Yeah. Did it, did it not? It, it did. It, it wasn't as obnoxious as Dora. Because Dora would full on, like, have, like, a CD next to her. Where's the CD? Mother, look. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Blue's Clues, it was a lot more like, oh, no, what should we do next? 
you're right, let's do this. So so just so we're, we're clear also, like, I'm not the fucking Crypt Keeper. I was, it came out in 1996, so I was six. I was six turning seven. So I was, like, just starting to, to age out yeah. of the target demographic for Blue's Clues. But my brother and you were right in there. So I do recollect Blue's Clues because he did watch the shit out of it. So... I, I am familiar. Yeah, you were reaching the let's turn it to the prices right age. <laughs> let's fucking get... Because that's what it is. It's like Nick Jr., Nick Jr., and then one year you're like, game shows fucking rule. I'm going to watch every game show now. And you never age out of that. Supermarket sweeps on Netflix? <laughs> I know what I'm doing for the next 50 years. I gotta say, I've, I don't know if I'm gonna leave this in or not, but uh, right now, getting super fucking baked and watching the old supermarket sleeps on Netflix rules. Oh, man, that was me, but with a Great British Bake Off, which is actually a little bit more appropriate given the context. It's true, but because the supermarket sleeps are from, like, 1998, it's like you're entering another dimension. It's fantastic. <laughs> Well, I know what I'm doing tonight. Fuck, that sounds really, really good. So did you did you have any like brainstorms of how to make it spoopy? Cause I had a I like I went through a few different iterations. Oh yeah. I absolutely went through some fake cause there's cause there's like the really obvious shit. Cause like the first thing I thought of, especially when you think of like Nickelodeon cartoon properties. Oh, the first I mean, I guess but before, do we wanna talk about like uh, because I feel like that's sort of tied in. Do we want to talk about the succession of the, the stewards of Blue? Oh, uh, his uh, his doctors, if you will. There was David Tennant, then there was Matt Smith. <laughs> Honestly, that would have fucking ripped if instead of going to college, Steve just got shot by a Dalek and then motherfuckers turned. <laughs> and, then he, and then he was Joe. Yeah. And now who's the new one? Because like they did, now it's called like, Blue's Clues Go or some shit? Like Teen Titans Go? That might have been what I was thinking about. No, it's Blue's Clues and You is the new one. <laughs> Blue's Clues and You is Blue's it? Blue's Clues and You is you know what I mean. It has, oh, it's, it's Blue's Josh. Guys, Blue's and You. Josh is the new one, played by Joshua De La Cruz. But yeah, there was Steve, who was iconic. Like, you can't beat Steve. And then there was Joe, who tried. I'll be honest, Joe fucking rules, and I know that's not gonna be... <laughs> that's a big deal. I know I'm gonna cause some rifts, but <laughs> Joe fucking ruled. See, by that point, I that I, that's where my... Steve is where my knowledge sort of begins yeah. and ends. I'm aware of Joe. My, uh, my, my fan fiction kind of plays off of the concept of the stewards of Blue. Oh, fuck, there was another one? I thought it was just those three gentlemen. There was a UK version of Blue's Clues, and uh, there was Kevin... Fuck that. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> but wait, is there is there like discourse surrounding the bed? Like, is this like with um Mystery Science Theater where people get all weird between like Mike and Joel? I don't know. Well, firstly, hold on. I stand Mike forever. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think so. Like, I don't do people <laughs> <laughs> like Steve or Joe more. Uh, there's nothing. There's a whole lot of stuff about Steve Harrington and Joe Keery, 
I'm I I kind of just want to see if someone's done like a oh no I'm on tilt T Y L T and it's a I don't who's know what your that fa- is I I thought you were I immediately thought you were gonna go for the weird sex stuff no someone was just like who's your favorite host would you like to know how bad Steve beat Joe how bad eighty four percent to fifteen. Oh, poor Joe. I also thought Joe looked different. Oh, going to images just gets me a whole lot of Joe Keery. Yeah, that is not what I remember Joe to look like at all. But okay, I guess. Uh, I do like that the opening of Blue's Clues and You, like the first episode, does have Steve and Joe come back, and Steve is now like a private detective, which holy shit, that rules. <laughs> They make him look like, I because I've seen those uh, pictures before, they make him look like a weird pervert with his little detective outfit, which is unfortunate because honestly, he, 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 could, he could get it. Oh, fucking Moby can get it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mo- Moby era Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Joe still kind of looks like Joe. Steve looks like he went through a lot of shit. Which I guess, really. like, if you wanted, if you wanted to do stuff based off reality, there were all of the rumors based on where Steve went. Like Steve died in a car crash and shit like that. Like that would have been a good prompt for a fic. That's like, true. What happened to Steve? He literally, um, and this is because I fell down a, a, a rabbit hole because there was a YouTube video uh, where they did like a 10 year retrospective on Blue's Clues. Uh, the poor guy literally had to go on like the fucking Rosie O'Donnell show yeah. to be like, to say that he wasn't dead that when he sucks. was leaving Blue's Clues because people just thought that like he was dead. And he was like, no, I just, I don't want to, I'm going bald and I don't want to be a, on a kid's show forever. I got other shit I want to do. I want to do fucking. <laughs> weird ass music let's go i will say wwe i know didn't think i'd work them into this has already done a very good blues clues fan fiction somewhat because they do have a wrestler who is a children's television show host but he's also a sociopath and turns into an evil clown uh? like like literally his show has him like He's got puppets. It's more Mr. Rogers, but still, it is this. Like, you could do Steve as, like, a sociopath who, like... I, I, what what was the Rugrats fan theory? That, that Angelica was in a, a coma? No, that's Pokemon. See, that, that, that was my thing, that, where I was going to start with, is because that's the easy thing that they have for all the Nickelodeon, like, shows and cartoon shows. The Rugrats one was that Angelica is, like, alone, and she sees the that all the babies are dead for whatever reasons. Oh, and that's she right. she sees all their ghosts that, like, Tommy was, like, a preemie or something, or they all, like, died in, like, various horrible ways. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, it's too easy just to be, like, all of this stuff is fake. It's so edgelord. It's so fucking, I'm I'm in seventh grade. Uh, another, (laughs) (laughs) Ash Ketchum is actually in a coma after Pikachu shocked him, and all of his journeys are Fake as his brain degenerates. I'm 13. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love MCR. Let's go. You want to read my immortal in French? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, another one I had was that Steve is a, like a super powerful wizard in all of like Mrs. Salt and no, Mr. Salt and Mrs. Pepper. Is that it? Yeah, Mr. Salt, Mr. Salt and Mrs. Pepper. Uh, that they're se- that they were once human, and then Steve, the evil wizard, turned them into what they are, and Blue was like his wizard rival, and he forces him to stay around him as his lapdog. Oh, I do like that. That's not bad. Yeah, I just couldn't figure out, like, these are good, like, short bits, but no, I I couldn't. Yeah, I had, uh, the one that I was playing with before this was that Blue was this sort of eldritch (gasps) protective god, and that- Oh, 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 wait, Megan, I'm gonna share my- I'm going to share my, uh, don't read my actual fiction, but I want you to see point two. Blue is an eldritch monster. We both went down this route. (laughs) We were both like that fucking dog's messed up, dude. (laughs) I didn't do that. I didn't go that way, but I was going to explore this idea that, especially because in the show it's presented that Joe is specifically Steve's younger brother, that their family is like cursed with, like, that their family line uh, is cursed with having to, again, to have to, have to be stewards. Stewards of this, of of this beast. Yes, the stewards of blue. My favorite part about this is the fact that that presupposes their family is like monster hunters, and one of them gets the shit job of you just have to watch this dog for a while while the rest of them go hunt like fucking vicious monsters, but one gets to just hang with a dog for a few. Ooh, ooh, we could tie some shit together here on that one. What if uh, Blue, like his, he can turn into a giant hell beast and kill people, but he mostly fucks with your brain. And so what we're seeing is a collective hallucination. Now that does go back to the edgelord thing, but at least there's a reason behind it. Was Blue a boy or a girl? Blue was a girl and Magenta was a boy because they wanted to play Blue's Clues. Fucking with gender roles in 1990. That rules. Okay, I thought Blue, okay, because I, I thought Blue was a girl. Oh, wait, uh, M- to... Magenta is a girl as well. I, I, I'm i sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, because um, I'm going to have to go in and change some things very quickly <laughs> if I was wrong. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also, like, just the concept of Blue skidooing opens up so many rabbit holes. Of like this is very true. Multiverse theory. That could be where Eldritch Blue came from, was through one of those blue skidoos, and they have to make the leap back home or some shit. It's very Hellboy. Oh, dude, what if, like, Steve and Joe were both monster hunters, and the only way to... Ki- okay, so now I'm working it all together. The only way <laughs> to keep Blue from destroying our world was to put Blue in a pocket dimension... And this is the pocket dimension we're seeing. Because I did, because I had to look this up for my fanfiction, I tried to look up, like, a location anywhere where this takes place, and everyone's like, it's fucking Blue's Clues, why do you care? I'm like, no, give me a city and state, bitch! And they're like, no, I won't. I did get stuck on that as well. That was an issue I was dealing with, too. (laughs) Yeah, so it's a pocket dimension is what it is. 
that's good. I like that. And so they they end up having to seal themselves off with blue also. Yeah, yeah. So what we're seeing is like after a good movie. So like a good movie ends with like <laughs> Joe making the ultimate sacrifice and then we get just Blue's Clues the television program for kids. Yep. Oh man. Now, oh, fuck. Should I discuss after my fan fiction or before my fan fiction? what i've done here <laughs> well i it's a hard question to answer without context i've given you spoilers for what this is from and i will say this is true i know you're the editor and i don't want to put work on you but also i did give myself the goal to make the creepiest shit of all time and i do feel like what inspired this fan fiction is the editing so get ready to go hard in the paint and make this some spooky shit uh, I may just like edit this whole bit is one thing and we just insert it in. That is also an option. If you if you want to do that to your heart's content so that you can make your dreams a reality, <laughs> you could also do that. We can't just keep teasing the audience like it's gonna be good. You just wait. <laughs> All right, all right, Johnny Sims, what you got? Okay, let me- Damn it! <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> okay, let me get into creepy mode. I am so fucking excited. Statement of Ken Stevens regarding his experience in the now-condemned house that sits at the corner of 25th and Richardson, one of the first known locations of the abomination. Original statement given August 6, 2007. Audio recording by Steve Burns, head archivist of the Blues Institute, Philadelphia. Statement begins. I've never been a big fan of animals. I grew up allergic to most and afraid of the rest. Despite this, I find myself coming into contact with them on a regular basis. As a child, my parents were well known at the pet store, adopting a dog or a cat or whatever one week and being forced to return it the next. Eventually, I gave in and let them put a goldfish in my room. The same problem occurred well into adulthood. My roommates would insist on purchasing parrots or calicos. One time, I even stayed at a loft where a baby alligator was on prominent display. Eventually, I found a flat of my own and thought I was safe from this curse. This curse of the animal. Until I met Sandy. Sandy was my girlfriend and insisted on bringing her cat to live with us. It was a small, mangy-looking thing that she adopted off the side of the road. It would bite, claw, and screech at any given opportunity. Its fur was littered across the apartment, and my eyes were permanently red due to allergies. When Sandy left last summer, she left her cat behind. I'll be honest, I don't know what she wanted to be rid of more. Me or the cat. I was forced to take care of this villainous cat day in and day out. I could have thrown it out into the street. I could have left it to starve, but I couldn't. I just didn't think I had that in me. And to be honest, I feel like that damned cat was the last thing connecting me to Sandy. If I let the cat go, I let Sandy go. And I wasn't ready to make that choice. Unfortunately, time decided to make my choice for me. I'll be honest, I wasn't sure if my eyes were watering from allergies or if I was genuinely crying when that pest died. It was the harsh finality of it all coming from out of nowhere. I, I buried her underneath a tree in a nearby park, said a few words, and realized that it was time for me to move on. 
That's where 25th and Richardson comes into play. It was a well-kept house, only two previous owners, and came fully furnished, not to mention it was the most affordable price I could find on a home in the city based on my budget. I packed up my meager few things and moved eight hours away to this house. This damned house. I arrived with two suitcases and a backpack filled with various bits and bobs of clothing, and I opened the door to discover a massive chair looming over the living room sat staring straight towards the doorway. When the realtor told me fully furnished, I expected multiple pieces filling the living room, not just one. To its credit, however, it was immensely comfortable. I set my bags beside it and took a well-needed load off, and I sank inside the chair. It was like being embraced by thousands of velvety pillows. It was so comfortable that I didn't notice myself nodding off, my head slumping over and passing out. I awoke to the sounds of claws scraping against my front door. I merely attempted to ignore it, passing it off as some neighborhood mongrel and began putting away my bags, but it wouldn't relent. The scratching became louder and louder. Eventually, it sounded like it was truly digging into the wood of the front door itself. I attempted to leave for the bedroom, but as I turned, the scratches turned into a violent banging, the door itself cracking against its hinges. I finally gave in and approached the door slowly, my hand on a broomstick, the only thing I had to defend myself with, assuming that the villain assaulting my door was made of dust and various particulate. My hand played at the doorknob, twisting it slowly, and as it twisted, the scratching subsided. I nervously inched the door open to find... A small neighborhood mongrel, just as I suspected. The thing I didn't suspect, however, was its skin. It was a dark, purplish hue, and it stretched over its bones, the dog's ribs on prominent display. It attempted to bark at me, but all that came out were horrifying moans of pain. However, despite its pallid and starved nature, it seemed to smile as it stared up at me, rushing my leg and jumping up and down excitedly. I was reminded of the cat and the curse as I left the dog in the house and it immediately rushed for the kitchen. I gave chase and found the dog rummaging through my kitchen supplies, finding whatever food I had and scarfing it down. I was obviously quite upset given that this was all I had to last me until I found a job but it was hard to be mad as the dog continued to look up at me with that excited face. I shooed him out of the box, volunteering to scrounge us up both a meal out of what I had remaining. I peered inside and found that the dog's muddy paws had left tracks all over my kitchen wares and a large paw print on my knife block. I managed to find two hungry man dinners and threw them in the microwave, one for myself and one for the mutt. The rest of the night went fairly normal, applying for new jobs on my laptop while the dog scurried around the house. There were only two things that stood out. One was a painting in the bedroom. It was crudely painted. Perhaps the child of the previous owner had created it for the person moving in, but there was just something intriguing about it. I couldn't help but become enraptured by this finger painting, the paper warped and aged with time hid behind a glass frame. There wasn't anything special about the painting, just a generic red and yellow house, big green tree, and a sun with a smiley face, but yet I 
couldn't look away. I felt drawn to it. Eventually, I was snapped out of my haze by the dog who rushed in and climbed into the makeshift bed I had set up next to mine. And then we tried to sleep. Tried being the key word there, as slowly throughout the night I began to hear voices. Having grown up in the country, I knew that city life would be different. I knew I'd hear cars honking, music blaring, people yelling, but these voices were not yelling. They were whispering, and they were so, so distinct. Eventually, the voices managed to awake the mutt, who shot up with that same excited face and rushed into the kitchen. I swore I wasn't going to get up. But the voices wouldn't stop. They continued growing louder and louder, whispers playing in my ears on a loop, and then I heard the barking. The whispers, the barking, it wouldn't stop, so I eventually shot up and rushed into the living room where I found that damn dog leaving tracks all over the house once again, a broken picture frame with paw prints all over it, the red velvet chair becoming stained brown, and the whispers were still screaming in my ears, but there was no one there. I searched the entire house to find someone, anyone who was mocking me like this. I tore apart the entire building but couldn't find anything. Unless the salt and pepper shakers could somehow speak, there was no one else in the house, I decided. Eventually, I chalked it up to the lack of sleep that I had been getting of late and decided to slump back down into the chair. And eventually, I was able to drown out the whispers using those massive couch cushions. I awoke the next day with the dog excitedly staring up at me, a trail of mud behind him. I sigh as I realize that I'm going to have to actually bathe this nasty mutt lest he turn my entire home into a lovely shade of sewer brown. Before I take him into the bathroom, however, he excitedly rushes towards the door and hands me my mail for the day. There are a few catalogs, unforwarded bills, and a letter. I got a letter from Sandy. The dog looks up at me expectantly as I stare down at this letter. I wasn't sure exactly what the pup was expecting of me, but it seemed like they thought I was doing this whole thing wrong. I set the sealed letter down, and the mutt growled at me before snapping at my ankles, the whole time continuing to keep that massive smile plastered on its face. I finally relent and read over the message before throwing it to the ground. I couldn't believe she was still trying to talk to me after... After everything she had done, I smirk as the dog stares down at the letter, almost as if the damn thing was trying to read. I let out a small laugh as I pick her up and rush towards the bathroom, setting her in the bathtub. Something had changed, however. The dog still had that grin slapped across its face, but its eyes were dead almost as if its mouth was pried back by some sort of invisible thread. It stared at me with those cold, soulless eyes and teeth bared through its devious smile. As I picked up the soap, the voices started again. This time it was like they were screaming inside my skull, the whispers long gone. I attempted to grin and bear it, washing the dog over, attempting to clean the blue grime off of its skin, but it wouldn't come off. I scrubbed and I scrubbed and I scrubbed and this dog remained blue. I eventually stopped when I saw that I was actually beginning to flay the skin off of its body, causing it to whimper in pain, all the while staring at me with those cold and lifeless eyes and manic smile. 
Eventually the screaming grows to be too much, and I return to my big comfy chair, praying I can once again silence the voices through the cushions. When I discover something, amongst the letters and empty dinner containers on my end table was a small circular notebook featuring a drawing of my chair on the cover. I stare down and slowly flip it open, and I see... myself. It's a drawing, a crude, crayon drawing of myself, Sandy, and that damned cat. Pasted onto the page with Crayola, it was the three of us in our flat. I flip through the pages slowly, seeing us on Halloween, Christmas, vacation, all of our memories encapsulated in crayon. Eventually, I see Sandy leave. I see myself in the cat. I see myself being tortured by that small beast I see. No, 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 it, it couldn't be. I close the notebook with force before throwing it onto the table, sending letters and uneaten dinner tumbling to the floor. My breath sitting heavy in my chest as I stand with a start, my body being pulled by an unknown force. Call it curiosity or something else. My body slowly walks towards the bedroom, and despite how much I knew I didn't want to, I stood face to face with that painting once again. <laughs> and I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I, I fell into the painting. I fell into that hideous abomination of a painting, and I fell directly in front of that big green tree. I stared around at this world made of paint and then slowly watched as it became real. The red house became filled with dilapidated brickwork. The smiling sun turns into a blazing white hot light, and brown bark slowly appears on the tree. And I knew exactly where I was. I was in front of that tree. That tree where I buried that damn cat just a week ago. I slowly approached the small cross I put as a marker of where she lay. And I discovered a blue paw print sitting on that cross. I stared at it for what seemed like hours, days... I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I fell into that azul abyss of that paw print, and then I awoke, finding myself in that damn chair once again with that mangy beast in front of me, with a letter in its mouth. A letter from Sandy. Where are you? The letter read. I was supposed to come pick up Daisy two weeks ago. Where is she? What have you done? What have you done? End statement. Of all stories to come out of 25th and Richardson, this one is the most intriguing. Unfortunately for Mr. Stevens, there is little to back up his account. A story from a sleep-deprived man with no witnesses is simply that. A story. What we can confirm is that Mr. Stevens did indeed purchase the home at 25th and Richardson in the summer of 2007, and that he did move out soon after. Unfortunately, there is nothing beyond that to corroborate his story. This seems like nothing more than a guilty man's mind playing tricks on him, forcing him to admit the truth. 
We sought a follow-up interview with Mr. Stevens, but he was unfortunately recently found dead, hung from a tree near 25th and Robertson. The local police pronounced it a suicide, claiming that there were no other individuals on the street that evening, no fingerprints on his body other than his own, and a blue paw print on his shoe. End recording. So that's what I did. <laughs> that's what I did. I. Oh my god. That's one. That's one for the the fucking demo reel. <laughs> Jesus. I fucking like. I just after a while, I just said, "What if I could just try to make an episode of Blues Clues?" and not and just make a normal person go through it because like it is already buck wild as it is it's true you have a bunch of small voices directing you to try to find the clue yeah (laughs) while dog expectantly waits for you to do the thing and i initially i did not write in the i was supposed to come pick up daisy because i was like Leave it up to the audience to discern the clues. One on a knife block, one on a broken picture frame, and one on a grave. I wonder what happened. Hmm. But no, I, uh, the inspiration after a while for this one came from what, like, obviously Joe moved in because he's a brother, but what if they sold the house, everyone stayed there, and they just expected the next people who moved in to be like Joe, to be like Steve. Like, what would happen if it was just, like, a dick who moved into the house and then, like, all of them slowly realized, this guy sucks, what do we do? He's not getting it. (laughs) Haunt him! Haunt him! (laughs) No, that was some very good Magnus archiving. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really fucking angry I have to follow you. I'm still mad I haven't gotten to the actual plot of Magnus Archives. I'm still in this section of the story, and everyone's like, just wait. I'm like, I'm 17 episodes in. Same. I'm like barely into season two, and I, everyone's like, it's the apocalypse, and they're like throwing around all these words. I'm just like, he's the lonely. He's the sea. He can watch this thing. He's the seer. He's got eye. I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know who this is. There's spiders. Yeah. There's a worm lady. There's, <laughs> <laughs> There's books. There's a lot of books. Yes. I don't know. I was initially going to have, like, and this is, I I wanted to actually make something scary, so I couldn't, but I did contemplate having him get haunted by the music as well. So, like, when Blue's staring at him with the letter in his hand, he just hears, like, we just got a letter, we just got a letter. Hey, 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 shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, oh yeah, and then, of course, hearing, like, Blue Skidoo, You Can Too is actually like some dark Latin incantation in this universe, and it just plays in his head as he Blue goes Scado. into the painting. <laughs> Blue Skado, Yo Canto. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's got a real Edgar Allan Poe vibe in a way. It's it like does. the Telltale Heart, except instead he kills it. Someone kills a cat in a Poe story, don't they? Um, probably? Does the the black cat don't die, does it? I, I, I was li- the, literally the first thing I thought of was the black cat, but it has been four 
forever since I read that, so I would not be able to tell you off the top of my head. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, he does. He stone cold hangs this cat at a tree. So I well, accidentally yeah. made the black cat, but with blue's clues. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay. Nice. Megan, what did you do? Because you've already told me it's not spooky, but it's, oh, I. It's not. I've all, I, I think I fulfilled our spooky quota for the year. I think you we're did. good. I think you, you made up for all those Christmas episodes <laughs> you did. Yeah. So I was so proud after, uh, like I said, an uh, episode or two ago, after firmly establishing our dynamic as being the one who shows up and is just like, hey, I got the idea <laughs> <laughs> that I actually did a thing. I actually wrote like a lengthy thing with a plot. And then you come in here with your, your fucking, your Jonathan Sims ass shit. <laughs> and your voice acting. And I'm going to look like such a goddamn schmuck. No, no, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for writing a full thing. I'm so proud of you for doing your job as a co-host. <laughs> you did your thing. I'm proud. Uh, so, yeah, so I thought about I thought about Eldritch Blue. I thought about all kinds of things. And then I was like, let's take this in an entirely different direction. Yeah. Let's, let's really kind of try to go really far of left field. And let's let's do like a detective noir. Let's do like a real gritty, spooky, like David Fincher seven kind of shit. Yes. But let's still be really fucking dumb about it. We see Blue enter the grimy police station, a hard-bitten detective who's seen it all, who's looked death and depravity in the face and said, and has given the best years of her life to the force. Everybody talks about her ability to spot clues that others can't, to mentally put herself in the shoes of criminals. They also talk in much more hushed tones about the fate of her old partner. Today, Blue is called into the chief's office. The chief is an adorable kitten named Periwinkle. Take a seat, Blue, Periwinkle says, and already seated in the chair next to Blue is a fresh-faced young man looking somewhere between eager and nervous. And Blue just goes, no, and starts to walk out. You don't even know what's going on. I don't need a clue to see what's happening here, Blue says angrily. You're trying to stick me with a new partner. Well, I don't need one. Joe here graduated at the top of his class, Periwinkle argues. He's made detective almost as fast as you did back in the day. And anyway, it's not up to you. I'm the chief, and what I say goes. And they slam their adorable little kitty fist on the desk. I have looked up a picture of Periwinkle, and this is the best fucking mental image for me. I had a partner, Blue seethes. His name was Steve. Well, now you have Joe. Now Blue, skidoo! And Blue slams the door to the chief's office before Periwinkle turns to Joe and adds... You can, too. Damn it. (laughs) Damn you. Joe power walks to keep up with Blue as she hustles through the station, trying her hardest not to acknowledge Joe. It's an honor to be working with you, Blue. You see, I've been a big fan of your work for a long time. When you broke up the shovel and pail syndicate, that was... And Blue whirls around on Joe and gets up in his face. Listen, kid, I don't got time for fanboys. Just stay quiet and stay out of my way. The chief can say whatever he wants, but I work alone. For a long moment, Joe is quiet. Until they leave the building and head towards the cruiser before he asks, Because of what happened to Steve? In the mailbox? 
And Blue growls and shoves Joe up against the side of the car. Don't you say his name. You have no idea what happened. No clue what the psycho who calls himself the mailbox is capable of. Actually, Joe grunts, just managing to push Blue off of him, leaving two dark blue paw prints on his chest. I do. Steve was my older brother, Blue. That's why I grew up hearing all about you. That's why I asked to be your partner. That's why I want to help you catch the mailbox. Blue is breathing hard, not used to being caught off guard. She's upset that she let her emotions keep her from noticing the small details that should have been obvious. Of course this is Steve's kid, brother. How could she have missed it? Go home, Joe. Steve would never forgive me if I let something happen to... Before Blue could finish her thought, the, um... The fuck is it called? The, the walkie-talkie, the CB radio I don't, thing. I, I don't know, but I am upset with the sexual tension that I'm feeling <laughs> right now between <laughs> Joe and a dog. But it is there, and it makes me nervous. Don't don't worry about it. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. There'll be other sexual tension between something later. Let's, oh God! The the CB radio thing. He uh, squawks from inside the cruiser. We uh, we got a code 245 at uh, 123 Kitchen Lane. That's assault with a deadly weapon, says Joe. Obviously, says Blue, before adding, fuck, I know that place. Because obviously the whole point of this exercise is getting Blue to say fuck. Um, and she and Joe hop in the car and drive to Kitchen Ma- Lane. Meg, Meg, was assault with a deadly weapon a calculated maneuver on your part? Or did you stumble upon the greatest joke of all time? There they find the Spice family. No! Or what remains of it. (laughs) Mrs. Pepper is sobbing over the body of Mr. Salt, who has been smashed open. (laughs) Do you get it, Scotty? (laughs) He was assaulted. He was assaulted with a deadly weapon. (laughs) It's almost good as post-mortem jukebox. Yeah. This is revenge. (laughs) Shithead. She looks up when she sees Blue come through the door. Oh, Blue, she wails. What will I do? Who will take care of me and Paprika and Baby Cinnamon and the twins, Sage and Ginger? I thought you just had Paprika. We, apparently we had a lot more fucking children since Megan was a little kid. More importantly, the killer left this. And she hands Blue a stamped envelope that she tears open. Inside is a letter written all ransom note style that says... Here's the mail. It never fails. Joe is already taking down notes in the handy-dandy notebook as Blue lets the letter flutter to the ground. The bastard's sending a message. He's going to be active again. This does not make me want to wag my tail. I fucking hate you. I hate you so much. Good. (laughs) That we could catch him together, Blue. No, Blue barks, not again. I won't lose another partner. She turns to leave and Joe calls out, where are you going? This whole thing stinks. I'm going to go somewhere and get clean. Smash cut to the bathroom. Or a bathroom. I don't fucking know, a tub or something. And Blue has cornered a bar of soap after what we can assume was a very long chase. The soap is breathing hard and Blue pounces, only for the soap to slip right out of her grasp. Get back here, slippery soap. I know you know something. I don't know nothing. You'll never catch me. Tickety clock already gave you up down at the docks, Slippery. She said she heard you bragging that mailbox was back in town and using you as a go-between for smuggling drugs. I'm too slick to end up in the slammer. And Slippery Slope slides out of Blue's grasp until a pinkish paw slams down on the other side of Slippery and he's caught between Blue and Magenta. 
Blue's old flame. You looked like you could use a hand, she says to Blue. Magenta, when did you get back in town? Oh, Blue, you're supposed to be so good at spotting clues, and yet you never see what's right in front of you. Anyway, didn't you want to question this little runt? And because I don't feel like writing an interrogation scene, Slippery Soap gives up Mailbox's <laughs> new hideout in the city. He an did. abandoned where <laughs> An abandoned warehouse in the Felt District. Blue cracks her neck. I could use a drink. Magenta gives her a wry look. You know, the way dogs can. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you expect me to help with that, too. And the two go out to a bar called the Side Table Drawer and share a couple <laughs> of bourbons. And Blue, feeling sentimental... <laughs> You know, like how dogs do. Yeah, like how dogs do. <laughs> and Blue, feeling sentimental, asked Magenta, why do you think it never worked out between us? Because, Blue, there was only ever room enough for one thing in your life, and that was your clues. <laughs> fucking hate you. <laughs> I hate you so fucking much. What if it could be different now? But Magenta's already getting up. I'll see you around, Blue. Maybe try to keep an eye out for more than just clues, okay? Some of us worry about you. And just like that, she disappears into the night. Blue manages to stumble home, only to find a clue on the door. Namely, that it's unlocked. She fumbles for her gun in the darkness, trying to stay quiet as possible. A light clicks on the same second that she cocks the gun, revealing Joe sitting and waiting for her. Sorry if I startled you, he apologizes. Steve had a spare key to your place lying around. Can I just quickly ask you, because you did just say, Blue, the quadrupedal dog, pulls out a gun? Yeah. Uh, front paws are in her mouth. <laughs> how, how old gun? Hmm. I'm going to say, for the, for the purposes of anthropomorphizing Blue into a detective front paws. Okay. You're sitting in my thinking chair. Blue says, trying to sound casual, not like her heart is pounding. Anyway, what are you doing here? I won't let you solve this case without me. Steve may have been your partner, but he was my brother, Blue. You don't understand. Then explain it to me. Make me understand. And Blue, who's still pretty drunk, finally <laughs> gives up. Fine. Couple bourbons. But you, better... <laughs> but you were better off not knowing. Steve and I were working a case. A string of murders in the magic paintings. The killer left behind postage stamps at the scene of each crime, like he was taunting us, like it was a game to him. I thought I was following all the right clues, and they pointed towards the mailbox. But then, we got too close, and when we came to bust him, it was a trap. Mailbox knew we were coming. I still can hear Steve's scream. Really, it was more like a wail. Mail! <coughs> I was... Uh, I was taking a hit of my vape. You can't do that to me legally. You almost just killed your co-host live on air in Meteorez. And what's what's spookier than that, really? <laughs> Jesus. I'm getting a migraine. We're almost done. Okay. He took a bullet, one that was meant for me. It had been a big blue paw print on the gun. I swore that I would catch a mailbox and never let anyone get hurt in my name ever again. But we could bust in Blue. Together. What if it could be different now? And Blue hears her own earlier question echoed in Joe's words and wonders if maybe it could be. I know where mailbox's new hideout is, she admits. What? 
Where? Joe asks excitedly. Here, she says, pulling a bar napkin out from a place that we are not going to question or acknowledge. <laughs> I drew a map on here. Take a look. And as Joe leans in, Blue clubs him on the back of the head with the butt of her gun, knocking him out. What the fuck? Sorry, kid, she says. I can't take any more chances. And she goes off to the felt district alone. Blue enters a darkened warehouse, gun at the ready. As water drips off rusty piping, a reedy voice echoes off the walls. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Blue stays quiet, watching, waiting for a clue. She feels a pair of eyes on her back. I wonder who it's from! And Mailbox shoots forward and slams into Blue, knocking her to the ground. You thought you could come for me, Blue? Mailbox shrieks and hits her again. Me? After what happened to your partner, Steve? Do you know who I am? And he slams into her again, and Blue's vision begins to go fuzzy. I'm the male, Blue! I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet! I just... I decide who lives and who dies. And he springs back to hit her one more time. And a shot rings out. And Mailbox staggers and drops to the ground dead, revealing Joe standing behind him. It's a letter from our friend Joe, he whispers. He helps Blue back up. And Blue, still woozy, asks, How did you find me? I followed some clues he says, and he gestures to a trail of blue paw prints leading back from the outside of the warehouse up to Blue, who looks at her feet in horror as if for the first time. Holy shit, do I leave those behind everywhere I go? (laughs) But also, thank you, Joe. You saved my life, and you avenged your brother. I was wrong. Steve, he'd be real proud of you. And then it fades out, and it's like, I don't know, raining or something. And it ends with Blue and Joe, now happily partnered detectives, you know, solving cases and such, when one dark night, a shadowy figure is leaving a familiar-looking postage stamp at the scene of a break-in. The camera pulls back to reveal that it is Magenta. She was the one working with Mailbox. She was the one who set Blue up that night at the warehouse to die. She shakes her head. Oh, Blue. You never could manage to follow the clues. Fuck. That was like, every time I watch a scary movie, I gotta watch cartoons afterwards. That's what just happened. You were our cartoons after the the blue archives. Holy shit, dude. I'm gonna die. That was so good. Thank you. Yeah, it started as, um, wouldn't it be fun to write a neo-noir blues clues, and then it just turned into how many stupid blues (laughs) clues puns can I pack into this story? The magenta twist I love, because now she's like her, she's like blues catwoman. It's cool. She's the femme fatale. (laughs) I gotta take a minute to catch my breath, dude. Look at that, my Fitbit. That's a hundred <laughs> beats per minute on this old heart rate. Got it going. Well, that was a successful ass Halloween, I will say. There you go. I think so, yeah. And then next week, we're going to be doing 
I'm trying to find a fun segue, but there's not one. Caca, birds of prey. Nailed it. Caca, birds. We're doing birds next week, guys. We are writing fan fiction on the concept of birds. I mean, I don't know if it'll be able to beat old uh, Stanley Kubrick. No. Orson Welles. No? Stanley, no. Who the fuck made the birds? Alfred Hitchcock. Jesus Christ. Yes, Alfred Hitchcock. No, wait, that's Orson Welles. Yep. From that same French excellence that, ah, the French. <laughs> oh, fuck. And also, uh, we're hopefully having a guest next week, but you'll have to wait to find out who it is. It's it's our friend JV. Because <laughs> JV. <laughs> wow, you didn't even pause. Like, you'll never guess who it's our friend JV. Because <laughs> <laughs> JV fucking loves birds of prey, and I'm fairly sure JV is already working on something that's Birds of Prey fanficy, so like, fuck yeah. JV will also probably be like in cosplay, despite the fact that it is an audio medium, yeah. because JV loves Birds of Prey that much. <laughs> JV is the Black Canary to my Harley Quinn, so that means next week you have to be the little girl who st- what steals diamonds. <laughs> Would you like to be police officer who gets real drunk? Can I not be Huntress? I guess you can be Huntress. You show up halfway through the flick just like, hey, my my parents got shot or whatever. You want to fucking go or you good? It's just really a carryover crush from Ramona Flowers. But uh, but yeah, also that is just the vibe of like, there's just 20 things going on. And then I just show up halfway through like, what? Oh, I get to punch someone? Dope. Okay, but until then, Megan, where can people find you on the internet? Like a blue skidoo into a magical painting and then they can listen to oh no lit class which is a podcast all about classic literature and the many dongs that lie therein which is more than you'd expect but perhaps less than you would hope for and you can find all the links to it about it around it in it i don't know at ohnolitclass.com and if you want to learn more about about me, if you want to get to know me a little better, hey, how you doing? I don't like this dog sexual energy you bring. <laughs> if you like this, if you're into this dog sexual energy I'm giving off, then I actually you don't want you. <laughs> Follow me. I actually don't want you any fucking where near my Twitter, and I'm not giving it to you. Otherwise, you could find me at Meg underscore Danger. Scotty, where are you? Ah, Twitter.com. <laughs> You'll find me at Scotty Mo S C O C C Y E M O. You can find the podcasts at a load of including the award nominated The Mini Adventures of Sammy Magic, inspired by that same turf excellence as, as the Harry Potter franchise, but without the turf shit. <laughs> and also go vote for it in the Audioverse Awards. And yes. Yeah. If you en- if you're enjoying this, if you're listening to this and you're like, yes, I want more of it, leave us some ratings, leave us some reviews. 
spread the word. That helps us so much. Tell people, hey, there's this great show called Fun Fiction, and they're doing some real cool, weird (laughs) (laughs) shit. They got some real dog sexual energy going on. I think you should check them out because that helps us the most uh, more Mm -hmm. than anything else. And also, if you'd like to help out monetarily, you can on our Patreon. Uh, It gets you access to tons of exclusive content that all the BS Network shows throw on there and access to our Discord, which we're starting to do a lot of different goofy fun shit on. Last Sunday, we did a virtual visit to Disney World because we haven't been in a very long time and I got real sad. So we rode the Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean. If you want random cool shit like that, you can get it by donating over at patreon.com slash a load of BS. That sounds awesome. I'm old and Discord scares me, but I should learn how to do it better. Thank you to Best Day for the music that he made for our show. Thanks. I love how petulant you get with it every week. Just more like, fucking thanks, I guess, Best Day. Because you make me feel guilty about it. Because I now it's like on Ono oh Lucas, I'm like, fuck. We haven't faked him in like 70 goddamn episodes. <laughs> I'm doing it every day on this on this one. You can listen to more of his music at soundcloud.com slash best hyphen day. And actually, uh, everywhere. You could also listen to him um, on Spotify and Apple Music, just under Best Day. I, I think he just put out a new EP on Spotify. So be sure to check that out, actually. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you've got any ideas for future fan fictions, you can submit them either on our Twitter at Fun Fiction Show, you can send them to our personal Twitter accounts, or on a load of pure BS at gmail.com, you can email them in. Also, if you got cool fan fiction and just want to send it our way, we may read it for, like, Patreon shit or something. Somebody did message me, like, do Scooby-Doo! Okay. <laughs> You're down, I'm down, let's fucking go, Scooby-Doo rules! I would absolutely do Scooby-Doo, but I really hope that they did it, like, just as aggressively as you're <laughs> saying. Like, just, just do Scooby-Doo! Why haven't you done Scooby-Doo? I need more dog sexual energy! <laughs> do Scooby-Doo! <laughs> Doing Scooby-Doo. How you? you? Got some dog sexual energy. Gee! <laughs> <laughs>